Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and tune in. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and 11.45 in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30. Good morning, church family. How are y'all doing today? Sweet. Well, I have to admit I'm tired. I'm also caffeinated and probably dehydrated. Well, I'm Pastor Chris, Pastor of Student Ministries. Here, I have the opportunity to work with our 6th through 12th grade students. And it's wonderful. And let me tell you, this past weekend has been an amazing weekend. It's been full of worship and dodgeball throwing and obstacle course racing um, as we welcomed 300 students and adult leaders from across Virginia. And we're going to put a, a pin in one retreat real quick, and then we'll come back to it in just a second. We're actually going to take a trip to when I was in elementary school, which wasn't that long ago. But when I was in elementary school, we used to have a pear tree in my backyard. Um, and the trunk of the pear tree happened to be on the, right next to the line of our property with our neighbor's backyard. And we happened to be really good friends with the neighbors, and the kids were about my age. And so we would spend a lot of time sitting at the trunk of the tree eating the pears. And so we didn't really have much access to technology as kids back in 2007 when I was seven, but it was a perfect way to end a long summer day, um, a long day after riding our bikes or playing in the dirt or running around or swimming in the pool. It was a great way to just end and celebrate the time of our lives. And I have to admit that back in 2007, I really didn't think about it much, but someone probably had to plant that tree. Someone had to plant that pear tree long before we even moved into the house. Someone had to take care of it um, and water it for it to provide the fruit that we enjoyed at the end of a summer day. And fun fact, I learned this after a little bit of research that a pear tree usually starts bearing fruit at year four, but it can also take up to 10 years for them to bear their first fruits. And this pear tree, I suppose, did take a few years to grow and to bear fruit as it made itself firm in the ground, and I'm telling you this to get to this point, that this past weekend, as students gathered, our theme for one retreat was rooted. What does it mean to be rooted in God and who God is, and what does it mean to be rooted in who God has called us to be? And honestly, it's a lot to unpack in the course of two days, but honestly, all our theological questions boil down, I would argue, boil down to two main questions. It boils down to the question, who is God? And the second question is, in light of who God is, who am I? Who are we? This morning we'll be in the book of Exodus. We'll be in Exodus chapter 3. And before we jump into this particular passage, I want to give you some context of what's happening. And so if by any chance, maybe you're doing like a yearly Bible reading plan, and you're probably by this point, I would suppose, somewhere in Genesis or ending Genesis. But at the end of Genesis, we see that Joseph, the son of Jacob, has invited the Israelites to come join him in Egypt to avoid the famine that's going on in their homeland. And then Genesis ends with, honestly, an abrupt ending. At the end of Genesis 50, we're told, well, Joseph died, and that's it. We're left on a cliffhanger. And then we turn the page to Exodus 1, and bam, we see that the Israelites went from being welcomed guests in the land of Egypt to being enslaved by Egypt. 
what happened here. It feels like we missed a couple of chapters, and indeed we really did, because some believe that there's probably several hundreds of years between the end of Genesis 50 and the beginning of Exodus 1. And so Exodus 1 tells us about this oppression that Israel is experiencing at the hands of people that had once welcomed them. And then Exodus 2 introduces a very important character in the history of Israel, and his name is Moses. Born to a Hebrew family, um, he floated down a dangerous river to avoid being killed uh, as a baby. He ends up in the arms of Pharaoh's daughter and grows up in the palace of Pharaoh. It's a wild story. And when I read Moses' story, I always just ask myself, how did this man not die? But he continues to grow, and then his mother becomes this caretaker um, in the Pharaoh's palace, and it's a quite weird situation. And then anyways, this story ends up with Moses growing up and then killing someone and then having to leave Egypt in fear of his life. And all this happens in the course of a chapter, chapter and a half. So again, wild story. And so this is where we pick up the story. Moses has left, and Exodus 3, we'll be in Exodus 3, Verses 1 through 6, so if you have your scripture, I invite you to open that up to Exodus 3. If not, you can follow along on the screen. And this is what Exodus 3 tells us. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Oh yeah, he got married in those two chapters too. The priest of Midian, and he fled the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground, Then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Let's pray. God, as we come before you this morning, we just pray that we may have open hearts and open minds to receive what you have for us. That we may be transformed this space as we continue to learn what it means to be more and more like Christ. Speak to us this morning. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So let's take a minute just to unpack what's happening for these first six verses of Exodus 3. This passage honestly contains one of the funniest verses to me in the Bible because we see Moses, Moses sees a burning bush and then this burning bush talks to him and instead of running, he stays. I would have said, well, that's a little suspicious That's a little too weird for me. That's an immediate no. I'm leaving, and I will walk in the opposite direction. But I am most definitely glad Moses didn't do that because Moses is about to receive some earth-shattering information. Through this burning bush, God starts to reveal who God is to Moses, announcing this powerful statement I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob, after this, we're told that Moses hid his face. So, like I said, some scholars suggest that there's a long period of time between the end of Genesis 50 and the beginning of Exodus 1. 
And some assume that, well, we really don't hear, we don't know if God was saying anything during this time period. And so for many years, we see that the Israelites have lived in oppression and have heard nothing from God in the land of Egypt. And so I wonder, I wonder if Moses was standing in front of the bush just thinking, could this be? Could this be that God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our great ancestral fathers? Could it possibly be this God that I've only probably heard stories about? Could it be this God who has been absent in the oppression of God's people? Those are the questions I would have imagined were going through Moses' mind. And in chapter 2, we're actually told that God heard the cries of the Israelites in Egypt. We see that God's heart was moved to compassion, towards a compassion to act for the Israelites. And in chapter 3, starting in verse 13, uh, Moses asks God a pretty good question. He says this, Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, the I am has sent me to you. Then God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. I don't know about Moses, but it feels as if the phrase, I am who I am, would have been an unsatisfying answer to that question. Again, if I was Moses, I might have been thinking, God, these people have been suffering for so many years, and it feels like you've been absent. We've heard the stories of the wonderful things you've done in the times of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Where are you now? And now you want me to go? Go to these people that have probably only heard stories about you and say, well, God says that God is who God says God is. Like, come on, let's think this through. In the ancient Hebrew, in the language, the scholar suggests that the name I am who I am can also be translated as I cause to be what I cause to be. And the same scholar suggests that this phrase, um, the divine revelation, tells us that Yahweh is the creator of all that exists, that Yahweh is the source of all things. So let's revisit the pear tree in my, ba- in my childhood backyard. As much as we love sitting under that tree, eating those pears, the reality is that we didn't always have pears on that tree. Fall would come, and the leaves would change color, and the leaves would fall, and then winter would follow suit, and the tree would sit barren for months, enduring winds and snowstorms and the harshness of winter. And then spring would come, and this tree would experience rebirth, and it would flower, and then in the summer, it would produce fruit again, just for this cycle to happen over and over and over again. I think we can learn a lot about our faith from trees. 
See, the one thing that remains constant in trees is its roots. Its ability to be firm in the ground under it, regardless of what type of season it finds itself in. This tree was firm, ready to produce fruit at the next appropriate time. See, as those um, called by Christ for the kingdom, we're called to be rooted in God. So that despite the season that we might find ourselves in, that we might be firm and founded on God's immovable character. See, it's exciting and it's easy to be firmed in our faith when things are going well, when we find ourselves in a summertime or this season of rebirth where we're producing fruit, where we're pouring into the lives of others, when we feel as if we're on top of the world. And if you're there this morning, we want to celebrate that and affirm you in that. But what happens when that starts to fade, when the leaves start to change color and the branches begin to become barren and are forced to endure the harsh cold of winter. What happens when we want to be rooted in God, but it feels as if God has abandoned us? I think this is the question that the Israelites are wrestling with in Exodus, in the beginning of Exodus. This thought that, God, we want to believe you're real, and we want to believe the things that you've done in the past are true, but why are we in slavery? Have you abandoned us, God? Where have you been? If we read carefully the first two chapters of Exodus, we see that God was present, that God blessed the Israelites with multitudes and filled their generations with lots and lots of people. That's why the Egyptians were afraid of them. We see that God returned kindness to the work of the midwives who refused to kill baby boys as the Pharaoh had requested. And we see that God hears the cries of the people and their suffering and is moved to action because compassion always results in action. So God says, I am who I am. God is that I am. In reality, when I went back and put a little more thought into it, I have to admit that this reply was probably a relief to Moses. Because this conversation could have gone drastically different. God could have said, I was who I used to be in the time of Abraham, in the time of Isaac, in the time of Jacob and Joseph. I was who I used to be when I gave Sarah a child. Or I was who I used to be when I heard Hagar and Ishmael in the heat of the desert. I was who I used to be. Or God could have said, I will be who I've been sometime in the future, just not today. But instead, God says, I am. God is telling us, I am today who I was in the past. I am today who I will be in the future because God's fundamental character of love and compassion and grace never changes. God's character is immovable. And I think for the Israelites, God being the I am meant that God is still working, that God is still present, that God is still fulfilling the promises that he gave to their ancestors, that God's presence is there even if it is not recognized. So what happens when you can't feel the presence of God? Maybe all you feel is the harshness and the coldness of winter, not just literally, but also figuratively in our spiritual lives. We see that despite everything that the Israelites went through in their experiences, that they were firm 
in God. They were firm in the hope that they too, maybe one day, would get to experience what the ancestral fathers of Israel got to experience, that they too would taste and see the goodness and the faithfulness of God. May we be firm in our foundation. May our roots grow deep in God's faithfulness so that we might celebrate the mountaintop experiences in our lives, but also endure the barrenness of winter. In this foundation, God tells us, I am who I am. I am love. I am gracious. I am holy. I am still working. I am still present, even if you don't feel like I am. God tells us, take heart, because even if it seems like God isn't working, God hears the cries of the people, and God is moved to respond. But okay, what happens when I know those things to be true in my mind, but it doesn't feel as if they were in my heart? We know that the Israelites, in the time period of the Exodus, we know that they relied on the power of stories. The Israelites, the ancient Hebrew people, were an oral society. They passed stories down from generations to generations to generations. They told stories. That's probably the only way Moses knew who the God of Abraham was. Because otherwise, God would have been like, well, I'm the God of Abraham. Moses might have been like, well, who's that? And it would have been, the story would have been a lot different. But... We see that Moses immediately knew who was talking to him because of the power of the stories that have been passed down through the generations. Moses had heard the stories of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Here's what I've learned in my life thus far. I've learned that when it feels as if my faith isn't strong enough to endure the winter, when my heart is shattered, when my hopes disappear, when my dreams are crushed, when I'm in this waiting period and I don't know what God is doing, I've learned that when my faith doesn't feel like it's enough, the faith of those alongside me, of those who have gone before me, of those who are coming after me, is enough to sustain me through the winter and into the spring. When you feel like your faith isn't enough, Let the faith of those alongside you and those who have gone before you and those who are coming right behind you, after you, let their faith sustain you. Because that's the beautiful reality of what it means to exist in community. That we help each other stay rooted in the faithfulness of God. So... I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you're saying, God, I'm a season of fruit. I'm in the summertime. I'm on the top of the world and I'm stoked about what you're doing in my life and that's awesome. Or maybe you find yourself, you feel as if God has turned away from you. You feel the bareness of the winter, the harshness of the cold, and you might be asking yourself, God, are you really as loving as people say you are? Are you really wanting to take who I am and transform it into something good and beautiful? Are you really still planning to take this barren tree and produce fruit? God, do you really care? Are you still doing the things, the good things that you've done 
in the lives of those that have come before us? Are you still doing the good things in the stories that we've heard that have been passed by generation and generation? And to those questions, God replies, I am who I am. God gives Moses and the people of Israel an invitation to bring their grief and to bring their lament and to bring their anger and to be assured and reassured that God is still working, that God is still fulfilling the promises that God made to Abraham and his ancestors, that God is still taking care of the people that have been made in the image of God. And so this day to us, God tells us, I am who I am. And God invites us to bring our grief and to bring our lament and to bring our anger, to bring our hopelessness, to bring our barrenness, to bring our winter and to come and to come be rooted in the faithfulness of the God who is still working. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.